back everybody to episode 11 of mark and sarah talk about songs that was our funky theme song which we haven't heard in a while it's been very coffee housey in here uh i'm thrilled to be back i'm sarah d bunting and i'm here with my co-host mark langenship hello and i am so excited to get that sweet funk smell back up in my life but before we carry on <laughs> with the two listener requested songs that we'll be speaking about today we did want to make an addendum to our recent podcast on the song St. Elmo's Fire, parentheses, Man in Motion. We all had written down a note that we wanted to mention the fact that randomly, John Parr apparently rewrote the lyrics to make the song about Tim Tebow a few years ago, and that's just insane. I And I did listen to a clip of this on iTunes. I almost purchased it because... Um, I like live in a world where I get to take some really weird tax write-offs, and I think that even for me, and I have written off Marshmallow Peeves like by the case before, that would have been a new, well, low, I guess. <laughs> but so I listened to the snippet, and from what I could discern, the only lyrics he changed were St. Elmo's to Tim Tebow's. Tim Tebow's Fire? Tim Tebow's Fire. Doesn't that sound like a brand of really disgusting Doritos? Like, Tim Tebow's Fire. They're the spiciest Doritos that you ever prayed for. Or like a, that um, those book covers, but you would put it on your Bible. Oh, Ooh. yes. Tim Tebow's Fire is his like youth ministry or whatever. Oh my God, totally. And it's, it's one of those ministries where it's in a big barn or a big, I'm sorry, a big warehouse. Or and it's like an overnight. And yes. And he's always wearing one of those Janet Jackson mics that comes right down right in front of his mouth. Clearly. Okay, so we'll be... Uh, this is so much cooler than Tim Tebow will ever be, <laughs> and so much more thought than anyone put into this song. But yes, Tim Tebow's Fire, it exists. We urge you to, uh, well, I don't urge you to download it legally. But we let Try you to know, find it on YouTube. But we'd let you know that it can be downloaded legally, and do it that way you will. Um, but today, we're going to be talking about two songs, both of which are requests, like I said. And the first is Sheik's La Freak, which was recommended, or I'm sorry, requested by my friend Erin, who you might remember as my friend who had the luscious Jackson streak in her hair uh, that we talked about in episode two. And Erin requested Sheik's La Freak because it is the song that was number one on the day she was born. And as luck would have it, it is also the song that was number one on the day I was born. Which means, for anyone who has been listening, that it's time to do a little pop astrology reading about what that song means for me and my destiny, since it was number one the day I was born, uh, a skill that I demonstrated with Alex Trebek when I was on Jeopardy. But before we get to all of that, let's hear a quick minute of La Freak by Chic. Freak 
There was hustling. There was roof raising happening here at uh, Mastas HQ just now during the same bit. The roofs were being raised all over. My slide was beyond electric. Oh! Um, I thought that during the snippet I could do a little thinking about um, what the presence of this song at the top of the charts on the day of Mark's birth means about him and his life, but um, I was ensorcelled by the song once again. The, However... The, your mind was obliterated by the group. Well, uh, I have said before that Mark is a positive, hopeful, and upbeat influence in my life. Um, except when we're listening to Jewel, which is totally fair. But, ah. so, I think that it is of significance that this song was initially called Fuck Off, and had to do with um, Nile Rogers et al. getting hosed at the door of Studio 54, which they do mention in the song. As I'm sure you know, because it's in pretty much all our DNA by now. Um, VH1 aired that story in nine different specials. Yeah. And has, yeah, cut it up and put it in other specials. It's like, pop-up video about the 80s. It's still now. It's like, <laughs> by the way, still pissed off. Um, fair. Uh, there is, I mean, this is a very catchy song. Um, it is very welcoming. They will show you the way. Um it's got its finger on the pulse of the culture. They're like, it's called The Freak. Um, yeah, so I, I think all of those things describe you, Mark. Oh, well, that you. you're a welcoming, positive influence, um, but you're also in the know, and you're catchy. Well, hey, thanks, and as luck would have it... But not I, in the way that Tim Tebow's fire is catchy. Oh, I also live... Uh, about 15 steps from Studio 54 now. Which I, is yeah. Kind of isn't that crazy? And maybe you get freaky. I don't need to know. Oh, that that's 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 the mastas after dark. Well, yeah. I mean, it's gonna get freaky with our with our second our yes, second sure request, um, and not subtly either. Um, so, yeah, my my number one song is a love tra- love train. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which we've talked about before. We talked about it in episode um, one, I almost yeah, yeah, I have always felt a little weird about that, that I felt like it should be like, you know, back of the class snark train. But I I actually am sort of a positive and upbeat person secretly myself. That's true. I, Just a I disappointed one. Postsecret.com. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about having that be your number one? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm into it for a couple of reasons. Just from a chart fact perspective, this was the first song that ever went to number one on three separate occasions. Like oh, it, yeah. it, it was number one, then it fell off, and then it went back, and then it fell off, and then it went back. And it was constantly trading spots with You Don't Bring Me Flowers by Barbra Streisand and Neil Diamond. So oh, thanks. Oh, my God. Thank God I, I pulled a fast one on that. But I just feel like there's something nice that, that says that my destiny is designed in some way by resilience. And uh, continuing to show that my time is not over. And it's in three acts, like many plays. Oh, snap. I hadn't even thought about it that way. See, Me neither until just now. This is why one cannot read one's own tea leaves. I needed mm-hmm. your wise counsel. Yep, I think I think that was the key. I think we've unlocked it. Um, um, do we know why this song was requested? Uh, I think because my friend Erin, it was her birthday song, too. Ah, uh, yes. So, Erin, all of the stuff that you've just heard, it's also about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and also, apparently, you like tight pants and uh, 
hitting the floor. Well, that's well known. Okay. And uh, I also just want to point out for those who are looking up the lyrics to this song online, they are frequently misinterpreted as saying, there's a verse in the song where they go, something to the effect of, from the days of stomping at the Savoy. And Stomping at the Savoy is a Duke Ellington song about the Savoy Ballroom in Harlem. And they're frequently misquoted as stomping at the Savoy. No, it is yeah. stomping at the Savoy. That is the song. It is a reference to another club of Days of Yore where people would go to dance. Mm -hmm. So get your mind right. Oh, I also want to point out, I think that this one thing I had never really noticed before is that this song is about a dance, but they don't tell you how to do the dance. Right? Like, it says we're doing a new dance, La Freak, but they don't ever tell you what to do. And I, th I think that is a dance. Oh, is it really? Because, um, at least as of the early 90s, um, at the fatal birthday party at which Dead Scott, Dead Scott himself. Oh, yeah. Earlier, um, David Silver was like, I told him I'd teach his cousin how to freak. Oh, see? So we'll look it up. We'll put it in the show notes if we find anything. Hopefully there will be an Arthur Murray, like, footprints on the floor style right. thing so we can all learn together. Uh, and we can get through this, I promise. Um, I did want to mention also that speaking of Luscious Jackson, this also is a fantastic walking song, and there's a really great build in the bass line mm. that at first you just start with, like, I guess that it's not rhythm guitar, but, like, pieces keep being added in so that the bass keeps getting more... I despise the word propulsive in pop culture conversation, but there is nothing else. Like, you are being propelled. And mm -hmm. it is because of the drums and the bass. Um, and there's, like, a... Like, the, the sound of the sort of group parts, like the chorus, like, freak out. They start to feel, like, richer and, like, there's more people saying them. Right. So there's, like, definitely a build. Um, yeah, it's a great song. Excellent choice. I'm never unhappy to, quote-unquote, have to. Hey. Listen to the Freak, and I really hope that that dance is not too complicated and doesn't require a lot of floor space, because this is New York City. I'm ready to do it. All right. So, um, speaking of freaks... Yeah, here we are. Can you... Um, I sure can. Our next song was... Everybody, everybody glove up. Our, oh, it's going to get nasty. Our next song was requested by listener Carrie D., and she asked us to speak about the remix to Ignition by R. Kelly. And if there ever was a better song to indicate the concept of problematic cultural artifacts, I haven't heard it yet because this song was incredibly popular and that is problematic. Uh, let's listen to a bit of Ignition right now. Break them off with a little previews of the remix. Now I'm not trying to be rude, but hey pretty girl, I'm feeling you. The way you do the things you do reminds me of my Lexus cool. That's why I'm all up in your grill. Trying to get you to a hotel. You must be a football coach. The way you got me playing the field. So baby, give me that. And let me get that. Running her hands through my fro. Bouncing on 24. Why they say I'm ready? It's the remix to Ignition. Hot and fresh out the kitchen. Mama ruling that body. Got every man in here wishing. Sipping on coke and rum. I'm like, so what? I'm drunk. It's the freaking weekend, baby. I'm about to have me some fun. It's like murder, she rolled Once I get you out the clothes Privacy's on the door But still they can hear you screaming more Girl, I'm feeling what you're feeling No more hope
I feel really uncomfortable and I'm not sure that it's why. I'm not sure I'm feeling uncomfortable for the reasons I'm supposed to. Like, I don't think this is supposed to be like a particularly like culturally confrontational song where I'm supposed to be examining my whatever because R. Kelly is busy examining my whatever. Just kidding, I'm way too old. Right, exactly. Well, and you know, this... Um, the, ugh, I, t- I, feel, I feel weird now. Well, and I need to... to go talk to a trusted adult. <laughs> Were you familiar um, with this song before it was requested? I didn't think I was, and then I listened to it and I was like, okay, this sounds familiar... But I think I only knew this. I didn't. I only knew the remix. Right. Like I had heard this before, but not. Well, the remix is basically the song that was popular. I mean, right. The, 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 the original version of Ignition. It's like there are original versions of Jennifer Lopez's "I'm Real" and "Ain't It Funny" that nobody really remembers now. Like the remixes are basically completely different songs, as is the case here. That right. became hits. But uh, I just remember so clearly at the time, you could not go anywhere for this period that this song was popular in 2003 without hearing someone say, it's the freaking weekend, baby. I'm going to have some fun. And I, I feel like what is so fascinating to me about this song, and I thought it at the time too, Rolling Stone listed it in its top 500 songs of all time. And this is, which is crazy to me, but this is all happening. It was getting that kind of praise. It was a huge hit. As the stories were coming out about him peeing on underage girls, like they were simultaneous events almost. Right. And I feel like that is why it is so problematic that this song is so popular. I'm not denying that the song is good because it's like it, it is incredibly catchy. Like there's no point in denying it. It's got a very catchy groove. It's like impossible to get it out of your head. But I feel like it says something not great. That we were all like, whatever, just be on who you want. This song is the jam. And I, I, I know that that argument is as old as time, right? Like that's that's how Roman Polanski is always talked about. James now. Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Woody Allen. I mean, yeah. I think, I think it's you know easy to say that like if you're going to judge your pop cultural like content by the quality of the humanity of its creator right. or creators, then you will not be able to listen to any music, watch any movies, or watch any professional sports. While that's true, I still think that when things are problematic, that's the best time to try to unpack it, even if a bunch of like roaches crawl out. And in this case, I feel like you have two problematic streams that are going to cross each other and blow us all up on right. the freaking weekend. Well, and it's one of which oh, yeah. was R. Kelly's illegal doings and the other being um something that uh I believe that Baby Got Back uh interrogates quite effectively, which is that white culture's simultaneous co-optation, co-opting, sure of and profound discomfort with African-American sexuality is possibly may have provided an octopus ink cover under which R. Kelly could continue to like promote this song and be like, we didn't get it. Wait, say more. I think you're onto something. I should have said way less because that was like really a garbage comparison. Like I think that R. Kelly's actual, I don't know the legal status of all of this, but like, the accusations against him were A. Right. 
this song, which was quite, um, let's use the word direct in its metaphorizing about how he wanted to break it off in like the ass of the world were another thing. And then I think that at the same time, and I'm, I don't remember R. Kelly using this, but I think other people might have used it as an excuse not to talk about how problematic the accusations were, mm. is that I think our culture has, it like gets really, is happy to co-opt African-American sexuality while at the same time feeling really uncomfortable about it. And like, I think that that created or may have created something of a distraction when people were simultaneously like thinking that this song was awesome, but not knowing how to deal with R. Kelly, the person. Um, and I think that's kind of, so like they could just sort of make a joke out of the sexuality of this song as a way of deflecting their own discomfort with the accusations against him. Yeah. I'm not saying that this happened. No, but I actually, don't... but here's the thing, Sarah. In my notes, I have made a list of all of the white people who made covers of this song. And I actually think you might really be onto something. Because this is one of those songs that, like, okay, for example, the band A Great Big World has covered this song. They were known for that ballad Say Something with Christina Aguilera. Okay. Ed Sheeran has covered this song. Robbie Williams has covered this song. Don't get whiter than those bros. Joseph Gordon-Levitt has covered this song. Oh my god. And I think that, you know, it's one of those songs, there's a whole group of songs that white male artists like to cover ironically that are very much about aggressive black sexuality. And I think that you're onto something. It's like we as a culture feel uncomfortable with black sexuality in any capacity. And so one way that we can avoid dealing with it, if we, if by we, I mean white people, because you and I are both white people, but one way that white culture can avoid talking about it perhaps is by making it into a joke. And so Ignition comes out, it's really catchy, and then a bunch of white people, including all the people that I knew at the time, you know, everybody was, that I, uh, everybody that I remember saying that about the yeah, it's weekend, like filling the gas tank with pee, like, yeah. They're like was... straight folks, right? It was straight white people mostly and it's like this is a song that like helps us deflect our discomfort because we can if if we can turn the sexuality in this song into a joke at our own expense like mm, look at me i'm singing like this because i'm a white guy but it's like turning right. this song into a joke at our expense actually keeps us from having to face the the embedded things that we feel that make us for whatever reason afraid of black sexuality but also keeps us from having to face the fact that we are supporting the music career of a man who seems very likely to have committed these crimes because those accusations came up again and again in the time since yeah. the song was popular. And of course he's not been convicted, whatever. Like the, the, but the fact is it was like a way of not having to look it in the face. Like what if it is true? And what do, Or yeah. to talk about why the song is effective, which is that like, I mean, let's go back to the dawn of rock and roll and how terrifying old folks who were, let's face it, our age probably, right. were like, you... Rock and rollers and your pelvic gyrations, like, Elvis was supposed to be the fucking twilight of America. Right, yeah. Because you could see the outline of his cock. Right. And meanwhile, the youth of America were like, well, everybody's fucking anyway. Right. If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. If you want to shoot him from the waist up, that's fine. And also, the other reason they weren't super psyched about it, like, Sinatra could be all like, I fucking you on TV and that was fine. Because he wasn't singing black music. Right, exactly. Quote, unquote. I mean, he was. But the way that 
that was conceived of, and I should note right now that um, I have an AB in English literature and creative writing, and I don't know shit about shit when it comes to like the sociology and history of music and like Elvis's relationship with um, with black music of that era. Like I don't, I read the Garalnik like everybody else. I am not an expert, but when I hear a song like this, like. This song really made me, like, I was annoyed by the overtness of the imagery. Like, it just seemed unskilled to me. Right. But then I listened to it again, and then my head was bobbing the whole time. And there is something like, you have to admire the construction. Mm-hmm. Even if it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like the Versace of R&B songs. Like, it's real, like... It's loud and flashy, and it's way too much. But then you can't stop. Right, it is. It is look at you're like, amazing. I have to have yeah. that bag. It's hideous. Like I don't. Yeah, I'm probably doing a horrible um, job as a 43 year old, nearly transparent Caucasian American, explaining what I mean. But I, I think that our culture like totally passed the buck on the conversation about R. Kelly, the person's alleged misdeeds. Mm-hmm. Because R. Kelly, the musician's song, was, like, very direct about sexuality in a way that we felt weird, like, questioning the one thing. Right. And not questioning the other thing. I'm probably not making any sense. No, I think you... I look forward to getting um, read my beads on email because I would love to um, know what I might be talking about. Well, here's the thing. I would say that I would love to hear feedback from our listeners on this too, because I think that you're onto something and I don't know that I have the language completely articulated either in this exact moment, but you know, we're coming at this conversation and there's, there's something here that I think is worth continuing to talk about. And it's something valuable to consider. And I think it, it, we have to really look more closely at what it is that we as an American culture, we as a white culture, we as a non-white culture, whatever, what is it, what is it that we don't want to look at when we listen to ignition? What is it that we don't want to look at when we cover Ignition, ironically? Or do we want to look at, we just don't want to be looked at looking at it? Yeah. So... Because much of the James Brown catalog. Yeah, exactly. So, or the Woody Allen filmography, frankly. Yeah. So we welcome your thoughts on these and other uh, fraught topics. Yeah, I feel like we should play Le Freak again, just to lighten the mood. You know what, let's do it. In here? All right. We're going to... We're going to send you out on a disco note. Um, enjoy your quaaludes, and we'll uh, talk to you next time. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is created and hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. If you'd like to request a song for discussion or to share the mixtape of your soul, send us an email at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com or tweet us at talksongs. Today's theme music was written and performed by David Gregory Byrne. And if you would like to submit a theme, send it to talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. Just keep it under 15 seconds and please use the full name of the podcast. And if you'd like to buy an ad, we welcome you. Advertise your business, send a birthday message, or just hum a few bars. Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com to get advertising. Until next week, this is Sarah. This is Mark. And And this this was Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.